In 30 years, I will make sure there's no more fossil fuels. In 30 years, I want to be a mentor to those who have been in my shoes. In 30 years, I will have bought my family their dream houses for helping me when I was young. In 30 years, how will California's public charter school movement evolve? And as we look back, what have charter public schools accomplished? Hello everyone, I'm Anna Tentakoulis, host of the Charter Nation podcast, and we have a lot to celebrate. This year marks the 30th anniversary of charter public schools in California. This week, we're celebrating National Charter Schools Week, and this is the final episode of season one of the Charter Nation podcast. We'll be back with season two after the summer break. Now, over the past couple months, we've been focusing on how the state's charter school movement has grown and evolved through interviews with influential leaders, policymakers, and former presidents and CEOs of the California Charter Schools Association. In this episode, we get a big picture perspective from the leader of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools, the organization that's spearheading National Charter Schools Week. We hear from her in just a bit, but then we keep the national celebration going by spotlighting two outstanding charter public schools here in California. The first one is in Sacramento the second in San Fernando Valley, but both are changing young lives by offering a culturally relevant yet academically rigorous public school education. So let's start things off with our special Changemakers interview. In 1992, California became the second state in the nation to authorize charter public schools with the passage of the Charter Schools Act. Today, there are 45 states with chartering laws from Florida to Washington state. Altogether, there's nearly 7,700 charter schools in the U.S. serving almost 3.6 million students. Most of them attended charter school in the Golden State. The person working to ensure families have access to charter school options here and across the country is Nina Reese, president and CEO of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools. For the past nine years, Nina has deepened bipartisan relationships in Washington, D.C. to secure political support for charters. Under her watch, annual funding for the federal charter schools program has almost doubled. Mirna Castrojon, the president and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association, sat down with Nina to talk about lessons learned from the pandemic and how California continues to lead the way when it comes to charter school advocacy, policies, and innovation. Here's Mirna. Now, folks may not really know this, but you were born and raised in Iran and lived through the overthrow of the Shah and the first few years of the war with Iraq before moving to the U.S. at the age of 14 during the 1980s. So um, can you tell me something about uh, your story and how it shaped who you are today? Um, I grew up in Iran watching a lot of um, movies in English. And I, when I came here, even though English was my third language, I thought that high school life would be like what you saw in Greece. I just remember my first experience watching a pep rally. I was like, God, what are they doing? <laughs> so, so it was both um, exciting, but also it was a bad time to be in the U.S. because 
of the hostage crisis. So I was not liked by a good portion of the students in that school. And so it was kind of a rough time. Uh, I also like to tell people that I also witnessed what's now considered that soft bigotry of low expectations. This was a high yeah. school that was considered the best high school in Virginia. I think it still is. It was the only high school in that community in which I lived, so I didn't have a lot of other options. Uh, but they didn't really know what to do with someone like me, who, for whom English was not my first language, but also... Um, there were just a whole host of things. I don't think EL students were their expertise. So they automatically enrolled me in easier classes. Uh, when I was getting ready to consider college, my guidance counselor very bluntly told me that I should just apply to a community college. Now that I reflect back, I'm a big believer in empowering families, encouraging them to challenge authority uh, and ask questions. But also one of the reasons I like the concept of choice and parental empowerment is because I think every family, like my, fa my, my family, wants their kids to go to college. They want their kid to reach the American dream. In this country, you can reach the American dream, but you're not going to get very far if you don't get a good education. How does that connect with the work that you're doing at National Alliance today and the very real need of parents to really step up in ways that uh, our parents were somehow unable to do? I just really, I'm in this because I believe in giving every family the option to enroll their kid in a school that fits their needs. And I think charter schools are really the only and best way to do that in a public setting. In my experience in Washington, D.C., which has options, including private options, when you look at what charter schools have done in Ward 7 and 8, uh, you see innovation at play, you see diversity at play. More families are now staying in Washington, D.C. to send their kids to school because of the diversity of the charter school sector. The quality of the public school system in D.C. has improved thanks to the charter sector. So I am a huge believer because I've seen it play out firsthand. Tell us a little bit about the National Alliance and how you work with state organizations like CCSA and the charter movement more broadly. Um, so we are not an association. We are an alliance of state associations. We don't have you know, active members as most state associations have. Uh, but we rely on our state association partners on three fronts. One of them is just gathering information dashboard, data dashboard, which accumulates the number of students who are in charter schools, uh, the number of teachers in charter schools, how many charters open and closed. That is just information that we gather and compose at the federal level, thanks to the help of our association partners. We're also here to help the associations where they need help. We now have 45 states with charter school laws. So our work uh, kind of kicks in depending on what where the state association is in its journey, we help where we can. In some instances where the association is not strong or that big, we also do a lot more hands-on work. Um, but in your case, you know, in the case of CCSA, it is more of a partnership. You know, the, the value we add really is at the federal level to make sure that federal rules and regulations are not inadvertently getting in the way of the compact that charters have with their authorizers. First and foremost, the other piece of it is to make sure that every federal rule and regulation also considers charters as public schools. And that's been a fact ever since, you know, charter laws have been enacted and whatnot. Um, but also, more importantly, increasingly, we are also making sure that there is funding available for the growth of charter schools through the charter schools program, both by having startup dollars and funding to replicate and expand and dollars to um, offer facilities finance support. 
you and I both agree that while the past couple of years have been incredibly difficult and challenging, not just because of the pandemic, but frankly, you know, uh, changing political winds, um, you've said that it's also a real moment of opportunity for charter public schools. Can you explain a little more about um, why you feel that way? Uh, I think it's We've all been in our COVID bubbles and sometimes it feels like, you know, the doom scrolling gets the better of our op naturally optimistic uh, orientations. Um, but it, wh where are the silver linings that you're seeing for this 3.0 era for, for the charter movement? You're closer to the ground than I am. But in the aggregate, when you look at the movement at the national level, there are three things that happen which give us huge hope. Uh, at least in the near term around momentum, I guess. One of them is the response by our charter school leaders when the pandemic hit was extremely strong. Whether you're a single site, a small CMO, a large CMO, because our leaders are entrepreneurial and because they're free from rules and regulations, they are just inherently quicker to adapt and change and make whatever resources are available to their families in order to get ed the education that they need. If they were not schools of choice, I do not think they would have been able to do this as fast as they did. So that response was positive. We just released an enrollment report that also indicates in the last school year, more students enrolled in charter schools. So whereas uh, overall enrollment in traditional public schools dropped by about 1.3 million, at least 240,000 enrolled in public charter schools which means 240,000 remained in the public sphere by enrolling in a charter school instead of leaving the public space altogether to go to a private setting or to a pod. So very important to remember these highlights of our movement and why people joined. And I think one of the reasons I'm optimistic is that we, we now have more families enrolled in public charter schools as a result of the pandemic. These are first time families in our schools and we have an opportunity to showcase even more people what we're all about when you look at all the polls done on parents no one wants to go back to how things were they want us to reimagine education which is really at the core of the charter school movement uh, and then more importantly at the state level in state legislatures nearly every state that had a governor or a majority leader in either one of their houses that was charter friendly did something to support charter schools. And in your case in California, or in the case of Rhode Island, these are deep blue states, you were able to keep bad things from happening. So I think last year was probably one of our most successful and eventful legislative sessions. And um, we're going to talk a lot more about it when we release our annual ranking report. I love that. And I completely concur with you. Great examples from California as well on uh, how charters use their flexibility and autonomy to be incredibly responsive. Um, let's dive in a little deeper. You, you talked about this notion. You mentioned we're rebuilding, right? And it's, it's not about going back to the old, but building back stronger. And you recently wrote an op-ed in which you outlined five specific areas in which we can redesign our schools to fit the needs needs of the future. Um, one of these areas is rethinking school calendars. Uh, why, what about this notion do you think states should take a cue from uh, and why is it important uh, as we rebuild for the future? 
I do think that what happened last year with a lot of communities, the more affluent ones that experimented with pods and noticed you could do this work if you're in your beach house somewhere, that has opened a window of opportunity for us to have some conversations with individuals who are usually not paying that much attention to K-12 schooling and options and how these things are run when they're noticing you know, what the teacher is actually teaching their kids because it's in their house all of a sudden. So there's a a growing appreciation, I would say, for the teaching profession and all the things they need to do to entertain and to educate their kids. And that awareness is something we need to leverage. You know, on the mental health front, I also think one of the benefits of, I don't want to call it a benefit, one of the things that I think is more obvious now, more than ever before, which wouldn't have come through as clearly as the importance of paying attention to our students' socio-emotional health, including our teachers' socio-emotional health. And I think the data points around the impact of the pandemic on people's psyches has also been more broadly talked about, not as an isolated thing. It's now impacting everyone. So I think, again, our Leaders now have more information and there's a growing awareness about the importance of having these tools available uh, in your school, regardless of a pandemic. So from your federal perch, Nina, let's talk a little bit about the challenges and obstacles for the movement uh, nationally. What do you see are the most urgent areas where we need to double down on our work? Um, And what is the role of charter leaders, advocates in our school communities moving forward? So I would say some of the lessons actually come from you and what you have done in California, which is rooted in a number of things, and you can probably explain them better. From where I sit, though, one of the lessons is making sure that our leaders are treating the community that they serve and partnering with people on the ground more than they have before. I think if you're a single site that's just starting, you're more likely to build these community relationships. But as you try to scale you know, inadvertently, the leadership then becomes more and more detached from the community. Education, as you know, is a highly interactive enterprise and uh, and it is very political. And so people pay attention when you show up to local events and uh, that you are spearheading whatever it is that you're doing in your school and the four corners of, of your school it's not just about the kids you're serving, it's also about the community in which that you're in. So I think one of the key lessons is to make sure our leaders are paying attention to these dynamics, that they are engaged in the school board board races, which is something CCSA monitors very carefully, that they are in touch with the local elected officials, whether it's a mayor, a city councilman, a school board member, a state rep, and federal rep. I think at the same way you bring parents in to do school tours, Every charter leader ought to have a protocol and make it a habit of inviting these elected officials to come through their schools. When people tell me, how do you make sure people know what charter schools are? I'm like, the best way to do that is to invite them over so that they can see what you're doing and how you're doing it. Because no one charter school is like the other. So um, that would be my key thing is paying more attention to the political infrastructure around our cause because ultimately our schools exist because of that charter law that your state passed and if that law goes away these schools will close down the parents in every one of our schools need to understand that the school that they're attending is part of this larger discussion and they should all be um, advocating for their schools talking about how great it is and making sure that everyone understands 
the importance of keeping the, the, the law in place, the law strong, supporting you, supporting a state association. We're not, we're all in this together. And as a community, we need to take better care of each other, but also keeping an eye on the political nature of this. And it's, you know, whether it's a Republican or a Democrat representing you, I think all of them need, need to understand what this is by building the relationship with our school leaders. Absolutely. Couldn't say it better myself. Well, Nina Reese, thank you so much for being a guest on this 30th anniversary edition of Changemakers. Nina is the president and CEO of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools based in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much, Nina. Thank you so much, Mirna. Uh, Again, thank you for your leadership and happy 30th anniversary to all of your schools. That was Nina Reese of the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools, speaking with Mirna Castrojon, President and CEO of the California Charter Schools Association. You're listening to the Charter Nation podcast. I'm Anna Tentakoulis. As Nina Reese mentioned, this year, California marks 30 years of charter public schools. This week, we're celebrating another important occasion. Happy National Charter Schools Week. Happy National Charter Schools Week. Happy National Charter Schools Week. It is National Charter Schools Week, a time when we celebrate the contributions of each and every charter school in the U.S. In California, one bright spot is St. Hope's Public School 7, also known as PS7, in Sacramento. The elementary charter public school has been growing the pipeline of Black and Latino scholars since it opened its doors 20 years ago in one of the most socioeconomically distressed communities in the city. PS7 immerses scholars in a vibrant, college-ready learning environment featuring an extended school day, an extended school year, and enrichment classes like music, beginning in transitional kindergarten. Here in Mrs. Plant's music class, four- and five-year-old students wearing the school's red and beige uniforms sing their hearts out while shaking tambourines, ringing bells, and hitting drumsticks together. The educators at St. Hope's PS7 are dedicated to making sure these bright minds receive the best education regardless of their zip code. The percentage of Black and Latino students on or above grade level has dramatically increased at PS7, with impressive gains in third grade, a critical time in the academic trajectory of students' lives. Students like... Delena Moland, and I am nine years old. Delena and I take a seat on the blacktop of PS7. Delena took pencil to paper and wanted to share why she loves being a student here by reading her responses. PS7 is special because it's different than other schools and has art classes, which is fun and helps students learn more. Delena loves when her teacher transforms the classroom into an escape room, where she and her classmates have to work in groups to solve academic puzzles. And we get to pick our team. And once we finish the question, we go to the teacher and we receive either a puzzle piece or a key. 
And then once we have all four keys or puzzle pieces, we get, we win. PS7 is located within a historically black community of Sacramento. And families here say PS7 Elementary has been a lifeline. Janelle Mullen is Delena's mom, and she has another younger daughter who now attends first grade at the school. So with, with PS7, they, they love their teachers. They love coming to school every day. So every time I get them in the car, I take them to school, I know they're going to a school that they like. You know, you don't want to drag your screaming kid out to a school or out the car at that to a school that they don't like because they're just not going to do well. So every day, I, I just that goes through my head is just hope that they have a great day. I know they're going to have a great day. And what do you like best about this school? What thing for you as a mom uh, rises to the top? Uh, the quality of education. I have two little black girls. I want them to be in an environment where they have other black girls that look like them and teachers who actually care about them as well. Just as a little girl, as a little black girl, especially education-wise, it's just important and to make my kids feel comfortable. Um, I feel like if I wouldn't have had them here, I wouldn't know. I would Honestly, I wouldn't know. Um, they know their kids. They know their scholars, like the back of their hand. They know if they have a bad day, how to turn it around and keep them positive. That's another thing I love about PS7. They're very positive with the kids. Very, very positive. My youngest, she's an emotional Tasmanian devil, but having their support makes this so much easier for me. That was Janelle Mullen, mother of two daughters at St. Hope's PS7 in Sacramento. Earlier, we heard from her oldest daughter, Delena, who's nine years old. Now, from Sacramento, let's head south to Los Angeles, specifically to the San Fernando Valley, one of the most ethnically and linguistically diverse areas of Southern California. It's also home to the Multicultural Learning Center, another bright spot of charter school excellence in California. And we're giving that school some love during National Charter Schools Week. Like St. Hope's PS7 in Sacramento, the Multicultural Learning Center opened its doors roughly 20 years ago. But what sets it apart is its dual language immersion program. Students achieve biliteracy in Spanish and English by the eighth grade. Students of different cultural backgrounds learn side-by-side, side, developing the skills to be good global citizens and community leaders. CCSA recently recognized the Multicultural Learning Center as its Heart Vision School of the Year in Southern California. Here's an audio postcard from that school, featuring its teachers, leaders, students, and parents. When I come on campus, it feels warm. It feels invigorating. I feel a lot of joy. It's a place where you always feel welcomed to be yourself. And you learn a new language. As incubators of innovation, charter schools are able to be very thoughtful and purposeful in creating educational programs that serve their community. We opened with a dual language program when bilingual education was illegal in the state of California. When I was at MLC, they really throw you in the deep end. If you don't know any Spanish, you're going to learn, and you're going to learn quickly. 
You shouldn't have to give up your first language to learn a second language. And why shouldn't all Americans be bilingual? Muy bien. It was hard at the beginning. I didn't know how to really carry a conversation in Spanish. But after like kindergarten and first grade, they lay Spanish down hard on you and then you're good. And then you keep learning and learning and learning and learning. Uno. By doing that at a young age, we're preparing them to be critical thinkers as they get older and develop and move on to higher education and career. Our students become passionate about social environmental justice. They become passionate about human rights and they become passionate about using mindfulness and growth mindset. Biggest thing MLC set me up for was uh, empathy. Being around such a diverse group of people, both in admin and the, the kids around me, um, it, it set me up to be able to socialize with everybody equally on equal footing. Okay. It brings a place where the community can come together and share their cultures. Every culture is appreciated, every culture is explored. We live in a diverse society, so we wanted to create an environment where kids appreciated each other's cultures and learned together and grew up together. We're all family. We, we've always been family. Just having a community and come to school every day, knowing that I'm gonna be with my family, makes me wanna come here even more. We need people who understand the world, and I feel like the school is providing that for the world right now. I am honored to work at such a special place. I feel this is a gem in the valley. I don't know if I'd have the same ambition, career goals, socialization skills that I have today without going to MLC. So I'm, I'm you know, internally grateful for that. Though we started with a vision, that vision kept evolving as we met the needs of kids. Every time something new was needed, we found a solution. And here we are today, much better off than I ever dreamed we would be because we were meeting the needs of kids. On behalf of the Multicultural Learning Center, I would like to thank the California Charter Schools Association and the entire state of California and all of the charter leaders and staff and families out there who are working tirelessly every day to make this work. Thank you so much. We congratulate the Multicultural Learning Center once again for being CCSA's Heart Vision School of the Year in Southern California. And on behalf of CCSA, I'd like to thank you, our podcast listeners, for making season one of the Charter Nation podcast such a success. Now, if you missed any of our past episodes this year, not to worry, just head to ccsa.org slash charter nation, and that's where you'll find all of our episodes this year. That's also where you can find our Charter Nation blog, which features more great charter school stories across the Golden State, including our alumni series called The Face of Charter School Success. The Charter Nation podcast will be back in time for next school year with season two. Until then, Thank you for tuning in. I'm Anna Tintoklas, host of the Charter Nation podcast. Have a great summer. Bye.